Well, hello, friends, and welcome once again to another episode of the 360 Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Brahim, and today my guest is Darren McClellan, who is a client and friend of mine out of Southern California. Now, before we get to the show, I want to tell you a little bit about this episode. Darren McClellan has been in the mortgage business for over 20 years as an originator and as a branch manager and leader within his company. His uh, pinnacle year was when he funded over $140 million in personal loan production. So he's been around the block. He's been through the difficult years of 2000 seven and eight. He's been through the difficult years of 2022 and 23, and he's learned a lot from those experiences. And in this episode, he's going to share with you some of the things that he learned, including how to make the difficult adjustment of going from an originator to a leader and thinking that originating was behind him to having get get back into the trenches and roll his sleeves back up and to overcome his ego as he describes it, which is a very important component of the process because he had thought that his days as an originator were, were done. Um, we're going to talk about social media marketing. We're going to talk about creating content. We're going to talk about what his visions are for 2024 and beyond as it relates to the creation of content and how to market yourself. And we're going to talk about something really exciting that he has been working on now, which is uh, forming real estate agent pitch sessions, which is starting to yield a lot of business from him, an idea that he got from his friends, Mark Robertson and Eric Bible. Um, this conversation will also take on a personal tone to it because Darren is big on personal development work, uh, which is one of the things that I love about him. He will be sharing some really interesting stories about how his personal development work has led to him being able to become a more successful loan originator. Now, before we get to the conversation with Darren, I want to remind you and thank you, first of all, for being a subscriber, if you already are, and remind you, if you are not one, to please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers we have, the easier it is for us to get good guests for you on the show. This episode, as all of them, are sponsored by The Loan Atlas. And if you have not checked out The Loan Atlas, uh, you need to go check it out. It's an incredible learning platform that we've created as a faculty of um top teachers in the mortgage industry to help you become more successful at what you do. If you're watching this on YouTube, please give us a like, make comments uh, if you like the show. And without further ado, my conversation with my friend Darren McClellan in the 360 Experience. What is up, brother? How are hey, you? Hey, Tim. How are you? I'm good now that I'm hanging out with you. It's going to be fun to chat with you today. I'm uh, I'm super excited to explore a lot of different topics with you. I mean, we're going to start with business, but I definitely want to, you know, dive into the subject matter of marketing, which I think you've been doing a great job with. And we had some time in, in Park City at the master's retreat to go a little deeper on that topic. And then I know that you want to talk about personal development and the stuff that you're doing within that realm, because that's a favorite topic of yours and mine. So we'll go there too, but let's just give everybody just a quick background. Like, um, how long have you been in the business for and what, what would be, what would you say was your best year in the business? Just so people have a perspective. Yeah. So started really in 2001. Um, I'd come out of dot-com kind of getting banged around in dot-com a little bit post, you know, dot com meltdown. And so I wanted to kind of take a little more control over my income and ended up getting in the mortgage and real estate space, got licensed, had some good mentors coming out the gate. And um, so I just started kind of slowly, but surely, I mean, back then it was pretty easy when just work your personal network, 
hang out with friends. Deals were just kind of emerging. I didn't need to make a ton of money back then. So it was like pretty easy. It felt mm -hmm. like, um, and the, the lending standards were so loose. It was like everybody could kind of qualify, but I always had kind of good credit borrowers, um, a good personal network. So I started out, I would say my personal, um, biggest year was right around 140 million, um, right around there in, in total kind of gross production. So, so you, okay. So you're a terrific producer. I just wanted to establish that you've been around for a long time, you know, 23 years now in the business going on 23. Um, and, and you, you went through 07, 08, 09, which was, you know, a difficult time. And then you just went through this period. Uh, and I say that in the rears because I, I, I do think that, uh, we're, we have brighter days ahead. And I guess the first thing that I just want to understand is like, when you reflect back on, you know, the 18 to 24 months, uh, starting in 2022 in the spring, uh, to, you know, the time of this conversation, what are some of the things that you would say that you've learned over the last couple of years that are going to make you an even better originator and a better leader of originators going forward? That's an awesome question. Um, I think, you know, there's a couple of things that we know to hold true in a market like this. And I think some of the old wisdom really comes into handy um, when you're going through a tricky market, which is patience, relationships, back to basics. Um, I had to kind of go from more focus on leadership back into kind of heavy origination. That was a little bit of a shift for me, to be honest, like to go from a place of like building and scaling my team into realizing that I've got to go back out in the streets and really chase business down and, and create business. Um, and so I had to kind of find my love for that again, mm -hmm. but I have, and I've, um, I've done it and I'm excited about it. So I think it's real easy to get uncomfortable, scary, nervous, and lose belief and faith when you go through a challenging market cycle. And it's kind of the opposite of what you want to do. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about what you just shared there. So I know I know a fair amount of other people that went through what you went through, which is, you know, you got to to a point in your career where you kind of thought that originating loans was something that you would do maybe part-time if at all and that was more about you recruiting you scaling you leading and then you had to go back into the very thing that you kind of thought was over with and and that was that was that an emotionally challenging experience and if so what were some of the things that you had to deal with on an emotional level to really rectify um rectify within your consciousness that, Hey, this is, this is what I need to do. And, and how long did it take for you to like actually make that shift back? Yeah. Yeah. So much comes up for, for me with that, um, that question, but it's a beautiful one. I mean, so remember that I like, as we're going through, I was, you know, with Tim and his group and, um, in the signature program of L360 and I was, you know, on this incredible, um, kind of peak experience of life. And then I find out our company um, that I was working for that I loved was leaving where we were at. We had to make a big shift. And so suddenly my focus had to be like, okay, hey, what, what do I need to do to actually get through this next transition um, as at the enterprise level? So that became a bit of a focus. And then kind of, I think through the mid half of 2021, I also saw like the team was Trying to think timing wise actually it was 2022 first half of 2022 i was like wow we're we're super bloated here we just have to, i gotta like cut 
I got to cut the team down as quickly as I can. That took me probably a solid six months, but I'm also like kind of going through this phase of, Hey, what, what do I want to do? What do I want this to look like? And it was a big ego, like ego shift for me. Cause I thought I had kind of graduated mm. and then I'm back into class again, being a student and making sure that I was like mastering of the, the, the skill set that I was coaching around. Um, it was hard. It was super uncomfortable for me. And it probably took me three or four months of like, actually there's like a period of time where it's like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm not tapping out. I just don't know. Like, can I go back and do this thing? Mm-hmm. And I definitely had to ask myself some tough questions because, you know, it felt like it wasn't necessarily in alignment with the path that I was, that I was trying to kind of work towards manifest, et cetera. And so I think I had to kind of like lose the ego around it, which is like, not that I'm better than that, but that I had kind of graduated. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then I had to learn to love the process again. Mm. And yeah, let's, ta- let's talk a little bit about that. How did you learn? So I-, I love where you're going with this and you've used your term ego twice. And I think it's so critically important for those that are listening to really get your, get your head around, which is that. You know, when you're in a position to where you become a top producer and then you kind of say, okay, now the next next rung on the ladder for me, the graduation, the the initiation is into being a leader and then to be a mentor and to teach people underneath me everything that I've learned. And then all of a sudden to have to be thrown back into quote unquote just originating again is that's a blow to the ego. And I love where you just went. I want you to go there more deeply. How did you learn to fall in love with the process again? I think that's really important. So I think as part of my journey, I definitely got a little more like, you know, heart connected and kind of out of my head and into my heart as, um, as we talk about a little bit. And so I also could feel so two things happen. One is like kind of the transition from like recognizing the heart centered nature of the work is the service that we do to, to the people that we're serving, right? Like the, the clients that are trying to buy that first house, that uh, person that maybe has got some financial challenges right now um, and kind of coming alongside them and trying to guide them through that process um, felt super fulfilling. And I started to like really enjoy that process. Um, the other thing is just financially for any of us originating, you know, it was a, it's been a tough financial time. I mean, you're just blowing through your cash reserves as you're watching, you know, trying to trying to get enough business to kind of cover your your overhead, if you will. And so I could feel that also myself is that a little bit like, man, this is uncomfortable. Like if I'm feeling this, there's got to be a lot of other people that are feeling it. Not everybody. Some people are, you know, doing exceptionally well, of course, but there's other people within the community of people that I'm serving that might be feeling some pain right now. And so I was really able to anchor into that, which is kind of the emotional piece of this puzzle that we live in every day, which is how do I, you know, how do I support people through either a challenging economic time or help them kind of achieve that, that home that, that might seem out of, out of reach at times, particularly given the high interest rates that the higher borrowing costs, all of that, which makes homeownership seem a little more hard to grasp. Yeah, it's really interesting because you just, in my mind, you just described um, a very different orientation to the work than an egoic orientation of the work. Like an egoic, ori- an egoic orientation to doing our profession would be achievement, 
um, income, you know, notoriety, title, you know, job description, those things, right? And and when when we're attached to all of those things and they're taken away, it can be very painful. And what I'm hearing you say that's really beautiful is that your salvation, if you will, maybe too strong of a word, but your the way you refound your purpose was empathy, was like you were struggling, but you were able to see through that struggle of your own, through those eyes, those empathic eyes of, yeah, but who else is struggling? My originators are struggling. My borrowers are struggling. Payments are super high. People want to buy houses that they can't buy. And it was through that, it sounds like that you were able to connect to a purpose that was the fuel that helped you get through this difficult time. Would that be an accurate sum summarization? Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I mean, I've always wanted to try to bridge the wealth gap. Um, it's always been something that spoke to me, not because I'm like, because it's some sort of political orientation. It's really just around like, there is a huge gap there and the gap continues to widen. And so how do we help people through that process? But I sometimes have found that to be out of reach. Like it's, it, I'm not saying it's unobtainable, but it just feels like, okay, that's, it's a lofty goal. I got to just do this one at a time. Like, Right. I just have to take it step by step. And every time I have a conversation, um, that's my opportunity to serve. And and um, I had a great conversation with a guy one time that um, seems super connected and doing really cool things. And I go, how do you know, like, how do you decide what to be where to put your energy? It's like. Whoever's calling is my calling. And so, like, that's just kind of how I'm trying to show up when I get linked up with somebody like, how can I pour into that person? the best I can to the extent I can um, prepare myself to be ready for those conversations and then try to show up as huge as I can for those moments. You know, um, just to support what you're sharing and to deepen it a little further, you know, the, this last group of Leadership 360 that was in November of 2023, you know, they came in, you know, a group of people that, you know, have, have had a difficult year in 2023 and, and it was astonishing to me that we were able to even assemble a group in, in many ways, given the financial circumstances of the industry. But we we're very blessed to be able to put a group together because of the strong referrals that we got from people like yourself. And I had a, I, I was, I had this moment about two days before the retreat when I was getting ready to meet all of these people for the first time, where I said to myself, you know, Tim, this isn't, let's not make this retreat about what it's normally about, which is like flawless execution and impeccable timing and uh, an achievement of excellence. Let's make this about empathy for them. Like what, what would it look like? What would the retreat look like? How would it feel if the whole thing was just about serving them in every way that you can? Not that I don't normally do that, but my definitely, I definitely have an angle in there that is my own self-serving angle of making sure that everything goes off without a hitch. You know, I mean, that perfectionism that you've experienced. And I realized that, you know, what it would look like, like, how would I be different if I didn't care as much about that stuff and I just cared about them, like just cared about their well-being and serving them in, in any way that I could. And at the end of the retreat, Julie said to me, she goes, you know, she goes, I don't think I've ever seen you better than this retreat. She goes, mm -hmm. you were really present. 
And, and you know what? It was the best experience I've had, which is really the cool thing about it was, and I think that's what you're describing here is that when you shift the intention behind the activity to something that is noble, something that is, you know, altruistic, something that is about something bigger than just ourself, all of a sudden the activity has more meaning and more fulfillment and 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 it, it can dynamically change the activity. You wanna do you wanna comment on that? <clears throat> yeah, I mean I think it I think I think you can touch on many aspects of life with that approach, right? It doesn't have to just be work, it can be in all areas of your life when you know it's that clear intention. It's like if my I know I, when I find myself in that place where I'm like of this, the, the service mindset, the, the, the intention of, of showing up as big as I can without anticipating any outcome or result. I don't, it doesn't matter whether I, I'm successful in the pursuit. It's the, it's the way I show up for me. It's like the feedback loop that we get is, is incredible. And I, I was, you know, and, and I haven't, like, I haven't done the service work that you guys have done. I mean, your group has done so much incredible, um, things um but but even just some of the service stuff that i'm doing today where like the payoff from that if it if if you're doing it with the right intention and um kind of this open-hearted approach i'm just finding that to be super powerful um and it just changes everything and i just kind of want more of that in my life the more i can have of that i feel like my life will be full and i don't some of the other things that maybe were on my list before aren't so important anymore yeah, beautifully said. You know, I, I had said about a year ago in, on, on this show with Dave Savage as my guest, I, I had this thought that, you know, what if empathy were your unique selling proposition? What if, what, what if that's all you needed was just to truly care for people? And what would the, without an attachment, without an agenda, how attractive would you be? Who would you draw into your life? What kind of experience would you be giving to people that would have them come back and have them want to introduce you to other people just because you were different because you really cared um let's let's segue a little bit uh, we're going to come back to more of this type of content a little bit later in the conversation because i know that you can really go there with me which i'm excited about um so during this time of refinding your joy for serving people. Were there any tactical things that you've learned over, say, the last 18 months that you think will make you a more successful originator going forward that you'd like to share? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I try, I'm trying to, there's a couple of things that I'm focused on today and even over the last, call it 12 months, um, it's definitely not about more, meaning there are so many approaches to getting business, um, whether you're in mortgage, real estate, whatever your pursuit is. Like, I'm finding if I can go narrower and do some things exceptionally well, uh, I can create a lot of opportunity that way. Mm -hmm. And so it does tie into that kind of the intention of the moment, which is like, hey, what's my intention? Is this something that I'm passionate about? Do I like to do this activity? Um, so that's number one for me. Like, do I actually enjoy it? And then, and then if I focus on it, like with a hundred percent kind of intention, conviction, like commit to it, 
I'm, I'm seeing good results. So as an example, we started a, a pitch event. Um, there's some of my colleagues were doing a great pitch event for real estate agents down in, um, in North County, San Diego. I went down, checked it out. I was like, oh, this is a great event. I'm going to take it into my market. Did that, committed to that, have just started to meet a lot of new people. I've gotten business from that event. It's a super fun event. It's a weekly thing. I look forward to it. Um, I've gotten to know people. I'm referring business out. We're creating business through that intimate group we've created. So super fun activity. And you could do that in any market, which is like create a community of people. We were, you know, in, in the pitch event, you're basically telling agents to talk about their coming soons, their off markets, price adjustments, buyer needs and wants. It's, and then at some point, there's an opportunity to kind of share and talk um, with the agents and give advice and strategy, talk about financing, talk about the market, whatever that is. And we host it with a bunch of other service providers. So title, escrow, home warranty, um, what else do we have in there? We have an insurance agent now. So there's like five or six of us that host the event, super fun. So that's like a really easy to execute strategy that you use a collective group to, to execute around. And that's been super fun. Um, that's just one example, but there's really three or four that I'm actively working on on a daily basis. Let's talk a little bit more about this one example. So is, was it Mark that you went and, and viewed his? Is that what you did? Yeah, Mark and Bible, cool. yeah. Cool. So pitch event, like for those that don't know what that is, I mean, I think you articulated it, but I don't want it to be lost, is to, the gathering of uh, a group of real estate agents that um, pitch their upcoming listings, their pocket listings, um, you know, their off-market properties, et cetera, as well as, hey, I have a buyer that needs X, Y, and Z. So let's let's get a little granular with that. So how did you assemble the group? Like what was the what was the mechanism for determining how many people to invite of those that you invited, how many accepted? What was the process of inviting them? Um, you said you get together once a week. Where do you get together? What's the budget for it? Give us a little bit more meat. Yeah. So um, we were targeting specifically like the audience that we're targeting is kind of the the top agents in South Orange County, California. So focus. That was like our kind of target demo um, because we're tar we're partnering with First American on that event. First American has good market share. So they have a lot of data on the agents. So we started specifically like doing a calling campaign and emailing campaign, inviting people to this new kind of exclusive pitch event. And it's not a board sanctioned event, so they can kind of be a little more loose. We can, you know, host it with drinks. So we first first actually step was identify that put the group together, identify your team. So I want to find people that I enjoyed working with on the title, escrow, et cetera side. They weren't necessarily even existing partners. They were just people that I thought had good relevance in the market and had a good audience of agents, because that's who your our audience is. Um, so we put that group together, kind of shared with them the format. Number two is we picked the venue. Um, I think our venue is, is pretty good. There's better venues out there, but you need a kind of a place that's not so expensive that it becomes unsustainable, mm -hmm. um, but inviting enough that people want to kind of hang and gather for an hour and, and have drinks and little light, light bites. So that's kind of, so we do it at a, like a brewery pub kind of venue. Um, Robertson has a great venue down in North County, San Diego. That's a cool indoor outdoor space. Anything that kind of is a flexible space where you can potentially project stuff occasionally on screen is, is super helpful. And then kind of a regular people that are serving your it's it's good to have servers. They can come in. People feel special. They like to be catered to. So that's been good um, from a budgeting standpoint. We started at kind of a higher end venue. They eventually booted us because we weren't meeting their minimums. And so we 
we ended up shifting to a, a little more of a, a downstream venue, but it's been great. And we're spending probably 400 bucks, 500 bucks. You can go higher, obviously, if you have more people, but maybe 500 bucks to a thousand per event. And then that gets split up four or five ways. Cause so you're spending a couple of hundred, 250 bucks a week. You've got about a thousand dollar a month budget for it. Um, how many, how many agents did you originally invite and how many attend? Yeah. So we started with zero. You, it's, you know, you just start, we probably invited a hundred people initially in the first go round. Um, you know, the first meeting you might get five or 10, you know, and the next one, maybe you get 12 or 13. Now we have a stable group with the venue shift. We lost a few, but we're kind of rebuilding again. I would say our audience size is probably 25 to 30. We maybe peaked out at 40. Um, there's a lot of ways to kind of up level that with speakers and present, you know, some topics. I think there's Tim, there's two things that I would say are really important to kind of take away if you're going to embark on this. Number one is that like anything you do from an outreach perspective, the, the win is in the follow-up. And what I've done now is like I do a, a weekly or semi-weekly video out to the agents that are attending that event, along with other people that are on that invite list. So that, so I'm now like touching them twice at the event. And then they're also seeing me again. So I'm getting that kind of like repetitious brand recognition. They're seeing me in a value state a couple of different times. So that's super important. I think the other thing that's really valuable is whatever gets pitched at the event gets blasted out via email to like 750 agents. So then my branding and the agents, um, off markets coming soon's buyer needs are getting pushed out to like 700 agents all of which are some of the top performing agents in the marketplace. And so now you kind of get that one to many dynamic where the information is getting shared to a lot of people. They're seeing your name over and over. And then we're creating some transactions off market through the group because they pitch something, somebody sees it. And now all of a sudden they connect together. Um, and so that's, I, I would say two of the special things about that. Who, who blasts it out to the 750 agents is first American do that for you? Yeah. Yeah. They, but, it, but it's got you co-branded on there. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, what, what's the, how long does it last for? Like an hour? Uh-huh. Okay. And I'm, I, you're also creating community. I'm sure that, that people are making friends and having a good time, which is cool. Um, yeah. have you gotten any tangible business from it? Yeah. So the first deal, I mean, I've gotten quite a few at bats and I've gotten, you know, right now I probably have three, active deals we're working on from the event. I've closed a couple of big ones. Um, it's a, it's definitely like a slow, you know, a lot of these agents were agents I didn't have existing relationships with. They're all brand new agents, mostly to me. So the cool part about, about it is now like I have relevance with a market that I really wasn't serving before. And um, so, yeah, for sure. I've gotten business. I mean, not to the extent that like Bible, I think has gotten, I think a hundred million bucks in business out of his group, but he's had that group wow. for four or five years. Um, wow. But we're definitely like, it's more than covered its cost and then incremental. And then I just can feel the momentum building. And so next year, as the market opens up, we'll get more business for sure. It would be really cool. I'm like, my kind of my creative juices are flowing. Um, it would be really cool if, if every once in a while you did have like somebody speak that could teach something really valuable to them to make it feel even more exclusive. Like, you know, you come in and, and for the first like 30 minutes, they actually get a, like a really killer presentation from somebody that has them leaving and talking about it. And they, you know, like they're definitely going to come back again because they never know, you know, what they're going to miss. Um, yeah. I'd love, I'd love to 
brainstorm on that with you a little bit and, and think about how to really even up level that even further. That's super cool. You're doing that. Um, the video part you, you touched on, you follow up with a video. Um, I happen to know that you're very good on camera. Um, I've seen a lot of your stuff, of course, um, on social media. Um, let's, let's segue there. You've been, um, putting out a lot more content in the last eight, 18 months than you had, you know, pre downturn. Um, tell us a little bit about what channels you're on. Um, how, how frequently you're putting out content and maybe some of the results that you're getting. We'll start there and I'll have other questions. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I could talk about content for a long time. Um, it's something I'm super excited about. It's something that I initially was kind of like, I just wanted to figure it out. I just was like, all right, I see, I know that I need to be on the platforms. I've always been a fan of Gary Vee and kind of just, hey, you got to put, you got to get on these platforms as early as you can. I've, I can tell you a few things. One is, you know, early days, it's just, it, it's, it's intimidating creating content, um, or it can be for some people. And so I was intimidated by the process. So I just want to kind of get better at it. Um, just like any other thing I do, I want to just improve. And so I was interested in improving and, and part of it is like, all right, who do I work with? What, what's my script? Who's my filmer? Where's my location? What am I going to say? What am I, what message am I trying to share with the audience? Am I selling? What am I selling? Does it sound like I'm selling like all these things that you start to go through? So I had to kind of learn the content framework. Um, and so that's something I've learned quite, you know, quite well, I think at this point, now I coach it, I'll teach it with other people that want to learn more about content. Um, but I've also learned more recently, like that it, it's such like a, it's such a wide open space. It, it truly like, there's so many different ways to approach it. And there's not one that's better or worse. There's some that might have different outcomes, but there's a ton of room for creativity. I mean, if you look back at some of the old videos I did, they were like kind of, I did some pretty wild ones. Um, I, we don't need to go into all that right now, but, but I definitely was like, all right, let me see if I can get something to go viral. And at that point I had very little audience. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to try to hack audience growth by being kind of outrageous, but also like authentic to the message. So we explored a little bit of that, experimented. I mean, I've definitely experimented with a lot of things to try to see what the audience cares about, what is going to get their attention as like a guy that's I'm not like a 20 year old that's, you know, you know, at the gym all day. Like I'm, I'm out here working, trying to create, you know, you know, create business and, and serve families. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic for those of us that maybe have been in the business for a while. Like, OK, what am I going to share? How am I going to bring value to the audience? What, what do you have about 8,000 followers on Instagram right now? Something like that. Uh, I'm like tw uh, 11 and a half there. Okay. And then, okay, so and that's then grown. done better on TikTok. Um, I, I grew faster on TikTok and we we actually haven't been posting for probably the last four or five weeks. We're doing some new content um, that I'm super excited about. So um, have before we get into, well, what did you, let's actually start here. What did you find through your experimentation process that they do want? What, what is your understanding of what the audience wants that will ultimately parlay into success for you as an originator? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think some of the things that are pretty obvious about social is that people are consuming for different reasons. Sometimes they want to be entertained. Sometimes they want to learn. Sometimes they're trying to look for information. 
Some of the platforms are searchable, i.e. YouTube and TikTok. Others are just kind of organic feed like Instagram. Sometimes you're networking for business like LinkedIn. Um, people use the platforms differently for different things. And so number one is it's, it's important to recognize that people are, you're going to show up in somebody's feed potentially or by search. And it could be a specific topic or suddenly like you're just talking about whatever you're talking about and just kind of happens to be in their feed because you know them and their friends, yours, whatever. So mm -hmm. there's an awareness there that I think is important that, that I have come to learn. I also know that what we talk about mortgage real estate is only exciting for a certain period of time and maybe not most of the time, right? It's not the sexiest of topics. So how do you make it interesting? Um, I've also learned that people like to see multiple things at once. So like me making sandwiches um, was something we kind of locked in on. So there's like a little bit of a subplot. Bowie did a great job of like walking and doing other things while he's walking around doing errands or working on a project. And he's talking about you know buying a house. There's a subplot that makes it interesting. So somebody might just watch to see how I'm going to finish out the sandwich as opposed to they don't even care what I'm talking about. Right. But they just are fascinated with the construction of the sandwich from slicing the bread to putting on the toppings to like, how am I going to close it up and serve it to you at the end? So there's this kind of emotional component, which I think is the missing part that people miss on social a lot is like, how do I actually create emotion within the audience? What is something that's going to actually, it could be triggering. We talked about the event, like, Hey, sometimes it's taking a strong position that could just trigger somebody, but that the algo kind of likes that um, because you're taking a stance on something and it creates a lot of conversation. I think it's the most important is to do stuff that you actually genuinely like to do and ideally have some fun with it and have a system to be able to repeat it at scale over and over and over. And ideally you're either, you know, kind of solving for a pain or creating opportunity for gain. I mean, some of those two areas seem to be the most kind of like sticky, I would say. And and the other thing that I've done really, really like the one video or a couple of the videos that have gone crazy are like the DSCR videos where it's almost too good to be true. And the reality is that loan doesn't fit for everybody, but that seems like it's, it's kind of like, um, I think the term is like a, um, uh, an offer that's too good to be true, almost like, a you know, where the opportunity is so seems so amazing that people can't help but check it out and share with their friends and get excited about it. So the, uh, there's gotta be a fine line. I would think I, I first of all, I, I want to just validate what you said in, a, in, a, in just the biggest way possible that, I mean, there's just far too many videos that I watch from mortgage professionals on social media that I, that unfortunately they're just, I feel like they're really missing the mark. Like they're, they're saying the same thing. They're in, you know, the, the lighting isn't good. The background isn't good. The topic is not one that would ever cause me to stop. Um, we tend to make the mistake. It would seem quite frequently of not empathically creating content. And what I mean by that is from an empathic perspective, it's like putting your shoes and putting your putting yourself in the shoes of another. Like, what, what do they want to hear? What do they need right now? What's going to be valuable to them? Because that's the only thing that matters. You know, there's just too much content out there that I see that it's like it's just not valuable, and it's like, why would I stop and and watch this? But on the flip side of that, 
when you have the the entertainment value component, you know, doing slapstick or, you know, making the sandwich or, you know, whatever it is, can you go, have you found, or do you think that you can go too far to the other side to where it's like, okay, but the only people that I'm going to get to stop are people that would never be a client of mine anyway. So what's the point? Because isn't the name of the game at all of this to try to thread that needle and to capture the people that actually would want to do a mortgage with you? Otherwise, why spend all the time and money and resources on it? Yeah, I mean, I think you can quickly spend too. I mean, just to spend to speak to like resources, the energy, the expense of it. I think you can. It's very easy to miss the mark and either spend too much to create stuff that doesn't land, or um, yeah, or you could go too extreme the other way. To your point, is like and lose the audience, and you're not you're you're providing entertainment value, but nobody actually is going to like ever transact with you because there's no maybe there's they see right through it. Yeah, because the audience is super aware, right? Like we we can see whether we're being sold to or not. I think if you can kind of let people get to know you a little bit through the process, so you kind of in some way insert your own values, your own beliefs, your a little bit of like visibility, a little bit more into kind of like who you are as a business person and an individual. I think that's helpful because that creates a little bit of that connective tissue where the people, and you've heard, I think I've heard Mark say it and I've experienced it where like, when you put out good content, they find it valuable, you know, you have that primacy effect where they already hold their next interaction with you in a higher regard, just because of the fact that you've already given them value. So I think there's benefit to that. The other thing though, I do believe is like, if you can get enough growth, you know, there will be opportunity that emerges. I mean, this is still like very, you know, social media is very top of the funnel. It's, you don't know where people are in their, you know, their, their journey of transacting and all of that. They might see this and they might not plan to buy a property for five years from now. So even though they're engaged with your content, all that stuff, like they're not, they're not in market. So at some point it's like that it's still, I believe there's a value in doing the jab, 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 cross thing. You just got to jab as long as you can before you try to throw the cross you know, or the, the right hook and, and ask for the business. So at some point you got to ask for it. Like, Hey, if you, you, you know, if you like what we're talking about, if you like this information, education, et cetera, here's a master class we're doing on this. Now you can get them into a click funnel, whatever that is. And you can transact with them that way. I think it's harder than people realize to get business on social, unless your whole demographic is already living in that platform. Yeah. I think that, I think that that time to throw the hook is coming. You know, um, I was, I did an Instagram live the other day with Bowie. And one of the things that I was asking him the Instagram live was, Hey, what, what, and I'm going to ask you this question now. So the question is, as rates are starting to come down and are likely to continue to start to come down, you know, into, you know, spring and early summer of 2024, how is that affecting the content that you create? Well, hello, friends, and I hope that you're enjoying this episode of the 360 Experience podcast. To listen to the remainder of this episode, please visit us at The Loan Atlas, where you will also find the most comprehensive resource for mortgage professionals to build their practice, backed by the greatest faculty that's ever been assembled in the mortgage industry. Check us out at the link below or go to theloanatlas.com. 
Look forward to having you as a guest on our next episode of the 360 Experience Podcast.